your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Good afternoon, and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, an international nonprofit organization dedicated to providing support, education, and hope to people with their people with cancer and their loved ones at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. Before we begin today's topic, let's move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer headlines. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. Psychological group therapy for women with breast cancer may help them not only to cope better with their disease, but also live longer, U.S. researchers said on Monday. The idea that such therapy can extend survival in cancer patients has been controversial for two decades, and past studies have yielded conflicting results. The new study, which involved 227 women with breast cancer, was led by Ohio State's Barbara Anderson. Half of the study participants took part in a year of therapy in groups of 8 to 12 patients led by two clinical psychologists. The remaining women did not. After 11 years, the women who participated in the group therapy were 56% less likely to die of breast cancer and 45% less likely to have their cancer return, the researchers wrote in the journal. Researchers said that group sessions, among other things, aimed to reduce the women's distress, train them how to relax and improve coping skills, improve their diet and exercise habits, and discourage smoking and drinking alcohol. The improved survival may stem from better immune function resulting from stress reduction, the researchers said. This is an important study, says Dr. Mitch Gallant, Senior Vice President of Research and Training at the Wellness Community. Similar to the Wellness Community, the groups were all facilitated by professionals. In addition, the intervention itself mirrors the key elements of a Wellness Community patient active support group. The therapy sessions began after the women had breast cancer surgery, but before they started chemotherapy and radiation treatments. They took part in weekly sessions for four months and monthly sessions for another eight months. Among the 54 women who died during the study period, those who took part in group therapy lived longer than the others. And among the women whose cancer came back, the recurrence happened later in those who had done the therapy sessions. In other news, older men and younger women fare worse with stomach or gastric cancer than patients in other gender and age groups, research shows. Scientists hypothesize that the difference in disease outcome is related to sex hormones and suggest that further studies should be performed to confirm this. The findings, reported in the Archives of Surgery this month, are based on a study of nearly 1,300 patients with gastric cancer. The subjects included 175, or 13.5%, aged 40 years of age or younger, and 1,124, or 86.5%, older than 40 years of age. Tumor characteristics differed significantly between the two age groups, and yet in the overall analysis, the prognosis of younger and older patients was comparable. The difference in survival did not emerge until the researchers divided the subjects by both age and gender. Younger men had the best 10-year survival at 62.5%, while older men had the worst at 44.6%. 
Older and younger women had intermediate survival rates at 56.2% and 51.9%, respectively. The findings suggest strongly that both age and gender must be taken into account when predicting survival from gastric cancer, the investigators conclude. I'm Bill Schaefer, and that's today's Cancer in the News. Believe it or not, the holiday season is upon us. Uh, Most of us don't even know where the summer went, let alone understand how it's almost winter. Uh, Stores, as we see, are decorated with holiday displays, and you can't even turn on the television without seeing commercials urging you to take advantage of big holiday sales. Uh, Although the holidays bring fun and cheer, frankly, they can also be an overwhelming time of the year for the average person having to deal with shopping, travel, family get-togethers, not to mention the tough economic times we're living in. So what if you had to deal with all that plus factor in a cancer diagnosis? On today's show, we're going to explore that very question and identify things you or a loved one can do to cope with cancer and embrace the holiday season. We're joined by three wonderful guests who bring three very important perspectives to today's show. First, we have Connie Wells. Connie has been living with cancer for almost six years and has been a participant at the Wellness Community of Central Indiana for nearly that long. Welcome, Connie. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me. We also have Andy Smith. Andy is a caregiver and another participant at our wellness community there in Indianapolis. Thanks for joining us, Andy. Thanks for having me. And last but certainly not least, we have Laura Weiger. Laura is a licensed social worker. She is the program director at the Central Indiana Wellness Community. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. So it's just great having you all of you, all of you here today. I know our listeners are certainly eager to hear our discussion, so let's jump right in. Connie, I'm going to start with you. Would you take us back to the day uh, that you were diagnosed with cancer and really what that was like for you and tell us a little bit about what the days and months after that were like? Okay. Um, well, I was diagnosed with rectal cancer on January the 17th of 2003, and probably like most people that have been diagnosed with cancer, it was a big shock to me. I never dreamed that I would have cancer, uh, even though I was having some symptoms. And during my lifetime, I've always approached everything in a very business-like manner, and that's the same way that I approached the diagnosis with cancer. You know, I went to my doctors and all the testing appointments, and I kind of did everything by rote and everything that I was told to. Um, I discovered one thing that I couldn't do too much research at a time because it made me very, very depressed. Yeah. Um, But I went through six weeks of chemo and radiation, and then I had colostomy surgery. Um, At the time I was diagnosed, I was told I was stage two isolated, and after some preventative chemo, I would be cured. But as you said, it's been almost six years now, so Mm. I definitely wasn't cured. Um, and was diagnosed about a year and a half later with metastasis disease. Um, And at the time, I really didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that meant stage four. I didn't know that the word terminal was involved in that diagnosis. Um, But I have just continued with treatments. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've been very, very toxic for me. I've um, had some of my treatments in the hospital. I've sometimes spent weeks on end in the in bed, mm-hmm. um, and that, of course, is very, can get very depressing. Um, I've certainly cycled through the depression and the grief and the anger yeah. several times during the last few years. Um, however, about six months ago, I was very fortunate to be led to a new oncologist who immediately 
diagnose the problems with the toxicity um, with all the side effects from chemo and was able to make some adjustments um, to uh, the doses that I get. So I, I really have very, very few complaints these days, and I'm very fortunate um, about that. Last week, I celebrated my sixth birthday since I was diagnosed with wow. cancer. And my biggest birthday present every year is just having a birthday because I was told I would only be celebrating two more. Wow, Connie, that's amazing, an amazing story and really inspirational to to uh, just hear your kind of attitude and, and how you've coped with, all, with, a, with a pretty difficult situation. Um, Andy, would you tell us about the day that your wife was diagnosed with cancer, what, was that, what that was like for, for you and your family and how you've been coping since then? Sure. I, I feel like I'm, compared to Connie, we're really uh, we're just starting, starting the journey, I, I guess. Uh, but it, it was uh, late June of 2008, mm-hmm. and uh, we got the call that uh, her biopsy of her breast had come back and, and she had breast cancer, mm-hmm. uh, was believed to be stage two and, and fairly well contained. Uh, we we then we then began talking, of course, to surgeon and an oncologist. And because she is of Ashkenazic Jewish descent and fairly young, they wanted her to be tested for a a mutation in in her genes. Yes. They call the BRCA gene mm-hmm. that would make make her much more susceptible to potentially getting another cancer in the other breast and her ovaries. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were so we, we were very, you know, taken aback by that because it seemed it seemed to us like that was going to be almost a sure thing that she would have to have the bilateral mastectomy mm-hmm. and have her ovaries removed. Uh, but then things kind of seemed like they turned or, turned around to some extent after that. She, um, we got a negative result on that genetics test, and uh, and then then the surgeon said that she thought the tumor might be too big to do a lumpectomy, and Julie might have to have a, a single mastectomy. Uh, but they but they decided to try chemo first, and they they gave her four chemo treatments. And it's really responded well to the to the chemotherapy and has has shrunk quite a, quite a bit. So her surgeon is going to try a a lumpectomy. And in fact, uh, we're we're taping this on Thursday, I guess. And uh, tomorrow is the day of of her surgery. Mm. Tomorrow. Yes. Wow. <laughs> You're with us today, Andy. Pretty generous of you to spend some time with us today, knowing everything that you have uh, on the horizon right now. So I you know, appreciate you appreciate you sharing that uh, sharing that story with us, um, Laura. I just I, I know we want to talk a little bit today. You know the holidays are coming up upon us, and um, in your experience as program director, support group facilitator, there are are the holidays a particularly difficult time of the year for people who are affected by cancer? Um, absolutely, I think they they certainly can be a little more stressful. I mean, I think it's kind of twofold though. Um, I think certainly while people. From the date of diagnosis and every day thereafter, they're trying to renormalize and figure out what their life after cancer are going to look like. And I think, you know, every day is kind of a step to figuring that out. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and looking at the sacrifices that, that come with that. Um, but certainly, um, 
around the holidays in particular, I think there's a point of grief, you know, as people realize their limitations and how their traditions might look different based on um, these new barriers that, that exist in their life. So, you know, if, if they've historically traveled and now because of treatment they're not able to do that, that's a loss for people. Um, and I think it can very much feel that way. Um, you know, just in terms of energy, fatigue, those kinds of, you know, feeling, feeling ill um, and, and the limitations that that may bring to them in terms of their holiday traditions. It can, be, it can be depressing for people, I think. But I think we also should not ignore um, that the holidays, like Connie said, you know, every birthday is a celebration yeah. because it's a birthday. Um, so sometimes I think people's, um, their perspectives just shift. And while that, I think, takes a while, I think eventually that's what people come back to is, you know, there's a lot of loss along the way, but their perspective can be shift to just celebrate the day, the year, the week. You know, each day is really becomes a celebration. So. Do you think, Laura, we're going to go to a break in just a minute, but do you think that there are some, I would imagine there's probably like a range of reactions during the holidays. I mean, are there some people who say, boy, I'm just going to cherish this time together a little bit more and, yeah. and, and think about it differently and some folks for whom it can be a little bit more of a depressing time? Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, part of that, I think, comes, it speaks to where they are in their personal journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where, what someone would look like coming in, you know, newly diagnosed, that's going to look different than someone who's five years out. Right. Um, and also, I just think people in general really accept the holidays in different ways. I mean, just their, their views of the holidays can look different outside of cancer. So we shouldn't ignore that, you know, it, it obviously is going to look different um, after cancer as well, just in general. But, um, but certainly kind of where they are, if, if they feel more in crisis, um, what their support systems look like, and, um, and people's acceptance around and support during that cancer experience and, and the changes that come with it. I think that affects how they're able to deal around the holidays as well. Mm-hmm. I know we're going to have um, I know we're going to have a little bit more time to uh, to talk about some of the family issues and some of the other kind of communication issues um, that people face. We're uh, on frankly speaking about cancer today. We're talking about cancer and the holidays, some of the challenges uh, that people with cancer certainly can face around the holidays, both from a practical level and an emotional level. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Your life, your health. Your network. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or 
more at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're joined by Connie Wells, a cancer survivor, uh, Andy Smith, a cancer caregiver, and Laura Weiger, a licensed social worker uh, and uh, program director. All three of our guests come from our wellness community of central Indiana there in Indianapolis. And today we're talking about coping with cancer around the holidays. Uh, Andy, tell us a little bit about how you found out about the wellness community of central Indiana and what kinds of programs you participate in there. Sure. Uh, we, I think we were really fortunate in that when we, uh, when we went to our surgeon's office uh, for our initial consultation, uh, she has a, a social worker that, that works specifically for her practice you know, with, uh, with cancer survivors, and the social worker met with us and gave us a lot of information about various support groups in Indianapolis. And uh, we went through some of that together, and then and Julie, went, my wife, went through every, every piece of paper that we had gotten, mm-hmm. and she told me about the wellness community and noted that it was convenient and had a caregiver support group that met at a convenient time. So I, I really heard about it, it from her, and I have, I've been traveling with my work uh, some this past couple of months, and so I've I have missed some of my uh, support groups. I've only, I guess I've only been to uh, three meetings of my caregiver support group, but those three meetings have made a really big difference for me. Julie told me that, uh, that after, especially after the last one that I went to, that when I, I came home I seemed so much more relaxed and less anxious and kind of more, more well-adjusted. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's been a, a really uh, a good thing uh, for me. And what do you? It's in, it's, it's uh, interesting to hear you know her making those observations about you. What what did you find there, Andy? What 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 was it like for you in the group? Um, it it was uh, I thought it was surprisingly kind of personal. Uh, the fact that the the group that I'm in is a is a fairly new group, and there are only three other caregivers plus our facilitator in, in the group. And so we all have, you know, a lot of time to, to speak and, and to listen within, within each session. And mm-hmm. I, I guess I wasn't, I, I didn't necessarily think that I would feel a really close personal relationship with those other caregivers, you know, like I did, you know, even after one or two, one or two sessions. 
I think that my I think that really made me you know feel you know kind of supported and not you know not like I was out there on my own. Oh, yeah. I have my wife to be with, but I really need to support her. Yes. So it's it's nice to have some a feeling that there's something out there supporting me. I think just to get some strength from that. Yes. Yeah. Connie, what about you? How did you find out about the wellness community and get involved? Well, I didn't know anything about the wellness community the first six months of my diagnosis. I no one, a, you know, a doctor or um, any uh, testing technicians or anyone mentioned it to me. Um, but the wellness community was starting a brand-new support group in a new location um, at the oncology center uh, where I went for treatment. And so there was a notification up there, and the patient navigator was speaking to patients as they came and went about it. I probably wouldn't have paid a whole lot of attention to it. Uh, I'd never participated in a support group before, but my sister-in-law was up from Florida um, helping take care of me. I was in the first week of my preventative stage of chemotherapy, and by the third day I was extremely ill. By the fourth day, I was in the hospital because um, chemo had eaten the lining out of my throat and esophagus. Mm -hmm. Um, We refer that lovingly uh, as my morphine vacation, and my family are still telling a lot of stories about things I said. They could be making it up. I don't know. Are you able to laugh about that now? Oh, yes. Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, but anyway, uh, my sister-in-law is a social worker in Florida, and so she really, really encouraged me, and actually I think she's the one that picked up the pen and, and put my name on the RSVP list mm. uh, to attend. So I did attend because I was accountable to someone then. Yeah. Um and the wellness community just did an excellent job of talking about their, you know, their community, their support groups. It was also a combination cancer 101 program. Um, and so from that point on, um, I have been attending a support group. So I have been going um, for over five years. Yeah. It is the best two hours of my week. Um, there have been times when I really had to struggle physically to get there, but I always know that at the end of that two hours, I am going to feel like a new person. Yeah. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to participate in some of the other educational and social programs mm-hmm. um, at the wellness community. You know, sometimes side effects, and it's about a 40-minute drive for me. Um, make it a little hard to attend, especially some of the weekly like exercise and, and wellness events. Yes. Um, but I do try to do as much as possible, and I was absolutely delighted and honored to be invited to participate in your radio show today because the wellness community has given me so much that anything I can do to give back means the world to me. Well, it's an honor for us, Connie, to have you on the show today, really. And, I, and Andy, it's just amazing to 
hear folks and share their stories and just be so open. And, uh, you know, I know we have folks listening today who maybe were just diagnosed with cancer um, or maybe, like you, Connie, have been battling cancer for many, many years. And um, I think it's really important for folks to hear perspectives of, of, of patients, of caregivers, and, and professionals about how to cope with the disease. Um, Laura, I, I know you certainly, you know, have the honor of working with folks like Connie and Andy on a daily basis. Um, Tell us a little bit more about some of the specific concerns you hear from patients, from caregivers, from families around the holiday season, and what are some of the tips and guidance you give to people to cope with some of these issues? Um, well, first of all, I, I would say one thing that um, we hear a lot is certainly learning to manage time mm-hmm. um, and also to manage expectations. Um, I think certainly... There are people who are surrounded by others who are very compassionate and understanding and kind of alter their expectations accordingly. Yeah. Unfortunately, that isn't always the case. Um, And so sometimes people have to learn how to manage those and with that, learn how to set some limits around it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, to just kind of be their, their own advocate and to realize what they can do and what they can't do and how that may look different from what they historically have, have been able to offer to their families and to their supports and to their, you know, communities. Um, and, and just to, to kind of embrace their new normal and, um, and figure out that that's going to look different and, um, and how, they can, how they can establish the new normal and help others to understand it as well. Um, so you're talking yeah. about, you know, maybe demands of things like uh, shopping, things like holiday parties, things like getting cards out, things like cooking, things yeah. that folks may have been accustomed to doing in the past that um, that cancer may, may be limiting some of those activities. You said, I like the phrase you said, embrace the new new normal. So it's kind of creating a new new set of rules, a new set of standards for yourself. Yeah, and I think some of that, with some of that comes, just kind of prioritizing, figuring out, you know, what is the most important thing? Is it the holiday cards mm-hmm. or is it the baking? Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what means the most to me? And then, and then what can I do? What do I maybe not have to do this year? Or maybe what do I not want to do this year? Mm-hmm. Um, or is there someone I can delegate that to? So, again, just setting those limits, setting realistic goals, because I think when people overshoot on their goals of what they're able to do, um, when the goals aren't realistic and then they're not accomplished, sometimes that comes with it, a feeling of, of failure, um, you know, or, or depression or, you know, sadness around that. So just setting realistic goals are, are sometimes things that we'll talk about in groups, you know, yeah. being realistic and figuring out who are your, um, your key supports that can help you. You know, if you do want to accomplish a little bit more, can you take some of the load off yourself and give it to someone else in in order to accomplish those things? This is a good time to kind of tap into that network around you. I know that um, I've certainly heard folks with cancer say that, uh, you know, people offer to do things for me, but, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm taking advantage or I don't want to, you know, feel like I'm, uh, you know, kind of pushing that a little bit. But do the holidays become a really good time to kind of tap into those people around you who, who, who want to help and pitch in? I think, yeah, absolutely. And and it brings up a good point. In fact, I had a conversation. There was a, a a wonderful gentleman who called in the other day who had recently been diagnosed, um, and and he has um, 
transportation issues. And we talked about, you know, a lot of times people really and truly want to do something, but they don't know what to do. And, And the cancer patient doesn't always know what they need because they feel very overwhelmed and they can't always put their finger on what it is they need or they feel bad asking if they do know. Um, so sometimes just just having that, that, that concrete list of, you know what, I need a ride to the wellness community yeah. or, you know what, I the day after chemo, I just can't get up to make my family dinner. I just can't do it. So yeah. is that something that you can do? So, so yeah, really drawing from those supports or... You know, figuring out an easier way to do your your holiday card. Sometimes it's that, too. It's figuring out a different way. It may not look like it always did, but it doesn't mean it can't be accomplished. It just might need to be a different way, a smaller list or right. a different way. Right. So, yeah. so you, Connie, we're going to go to break in just a minute, but mm-hmm. can you just tell us, now this is your, told us your sixth anniversary mm-hmm. of dealing with this disease. Tell us what are some of the things that you've done quickly to um, balance the stress of the holidays and, and, and having a diagnosis of cancer. Okay. Well, one of the things, referring back to Laura's comment, um, is lowering expectations. I've lowered, you know, expectations. Actually, every year I lower expectations of myself and others because when you when you set these lower expectations, then you don't get disappointed. Yeah. You know, you're able to meet the goals. Um, I focus early. Um, I have a, what I would call a little bit of advantage, as you said, because this is uh, several years that I've celebrated the holidays. Yeah. Um, so I, I have learned that I just have to start very early. I've always been a list maker, yeah. and um, so I just keep my list up to date. And I've simply learned from experience that my time out, you know, shopping errands is a two-hour time limit. Right. And... I have to be true to myself with that two-hour time limit. Yeah. Um, Honey, we're going to take a quick break. Okay. Um, We're going to take just a quick break, and we're going to be right back, and I want to pick up on that point right there. Okay, thanks. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're 
are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. The holidays are right around the corner, and today we're talking about managing the hustle and bustle of the holidays, along with coping with a cancer diagnosis. I'm joined by Laura Weiger, Program Director at our wellness community in Indianapolis, Andy Smith, Cancer Caregiver, and Connie Wells, a cancer patient. Both Andy and Connie are also participants at the wellness community of Central Indiana. I want to go back uh, to where we were right before the break, Connie. You were giving us some tips, some ideas about how you You've balanced the stress of the holidays and having cancer. You were saying to us that you put a two-hour time limit on shopping. Tell us about that. Mm-hmm. Well, I found out by experience that if I stay out longer than that, just instantly, I, I become very hot and sweaty and sick to my stomach and know I just have to get home. Yeah. So just learning from experience. And um, if, I, if it's less than two hours and suddenly I'm not feeling well, yeah. if I stop in the middle and go home, I do not push myself um, I am one of those people that has a little more energy in the morning. I've always been a morning person, yeah. so I try to plan my outings um, in the morning, and I I organize my list geographically, and I'm very fortunate to say that just about anything and everything I would need is in a three-mile radius, so that gives me a great advantage. Um, and when great. I have been out in the morning, I rest every afternoon, whether I really feel like I need a nap or not, and sometimes I go to sleep and sometimes I don't, but that rest period is extremely important. Yeah. Just to keep myself re And just to really know yourself. Mm-hmm. And know how oh, to manage yes. that. I've learned to, uh, you know, you learn to read your body and, and definitely you have to le- learn to listen to your body. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, I have done a lot of online shopping this year. Great. Um, online shopping, yeah. if I yeah. do have to pay shipping costs, they are certainly worth more, you know, than losing my stamina and my energy. There you go. Yeah. Laura, you were going to chime in? Yeah. Um, I just, I was going to comment that, that Connie has been such um, a good teacher for people. I mean, really and truly in group and in programs, I think she's able to really um, be a good role model. I mean, it's just having, having done this and learned through it, and she's just so open to sharing some ideas, and sometimes you can just see people kind of light up, like, yeah, I need to, I need to do that. It's okay if I do that. Um, so I, I just want to speak to that because that's so much about what the wellness community is. It's about community and sharing and, and understanding and teaching, and, and that is a lot of the giving back that people are able to do, whether they realize it or not, is just sharing ideas and information um, and commonalities. So. Well, Laura, I know we always say that it's the folks who are going through the cancer experience that we view as the experts. You know, oh, abs- oh w- without doubt, right. without doubt. I mean, yeah, w- we have we have letters behind our names, but quite frankly, you know, and unless you've gone through it and, and experienced and every day learned from it and lived through it, yeah. absolutely, they're the experts. The experts, yeah. Without. So, Andy, I know that you and your family are coming up on sort of the first set of holidays since right. your wife's cancer diagnosis. I'd love to hear from you about how you're, you know, thinking about managing the holidays, the family, the holiday season, and your, of course, your, your important role as, uh, as caregiver there. Uh, the, um, one, of, one of the things that was important to, to Julie that she realized was 
being with our extended families for Thanksgiving, and that's, of course, right around the corner. Yeah. And our, most of our families, uh, most of our extended family lives in Michigan, and we had been scheduled to go to, go to Michigan to celebrate Thanksgiving, uh, but she felt like with just being you know, six or seven days after her surgery that uh, she wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. And so we asked our family if they would be willing to uh, come down here to Indianapolis to celebrate with us, and would they be willing to each provide a side dish for Thanksgiving, uh, which, they, which they agreed to do. And then for our, our turkey and our stuffing, we're getting that brought in from a, from a catering place. We're going out and buying that already made. Nice. So we've tried, our goal has been to try to reduce the amount of, of work that we as a family have to do and instead concentrate, focus more on spending time together with our, with our extended family for this year. Wow, Ter- terrific. Wow, what a great plan. What a uh, great plan. Can I just chime in for a second? Yeah, please. Um, Andy, those are such great ideas. And, um, you know, for being so new to the game, um, I really admire you and compliment you and, and your wife for coming up with such wonderful, wonderful ideas. You know, I have to give the credit to my wife, as in most things. <laughs> She's a very smart woman to come up with these ideas so early, especially with all that she is going to be going through. Well, I think there's something to be said, Andy, though, for your your ability to accept that, that new plan um, in order to support your wife and your family through this. So even if it wasn't your idea, the fact that you're embracing it, and, um, and again, finding that new normal, that, what it looks like um, after yeah. the diagnosis, I think yeah, that, I that speaks to, to what an amazing support person you really are for her. Thank, thank you, Laura. And yeah, the I other thing, I, I wanted to say that I appreciated the, the uh, comments that Laura and Connie had made about lowering expectations. In fact, that's something Julie and I struggle with and kind of trying to help, help each other with coming yeah. up on a holiday. We, we call it expectation management. <laughs> it's the same thing. Of, I think Connie was the one that had said that if you, you, know, if you set, can work to set your expectations lower, then there's a lot less chance that you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. that's important to remember, too. Great, great advice, great input, yeah. So, Laura, I know, you know, in addition to it being the holidays, we're also in some pretty tough economic times um, today. And so, you know, you kind of put, put that combination together, holidays coming up upon us and difficult economic times and a diagnosis of cancer. Um, it's a pretty, pretty challenging combination, I would say, for, for any, any person, regardless how, how strong they might be. Um, Laura, are you hearing folks start to talk in support groups about how they're thinking about the tough economic times, particularly coupled with the holidays coming upon us? Yeah, I mean, certainly we hear that as much in group as we do out of group anymore. I mean, that just seems to be the talk everywhere. Um, I think everyone's experiencing it, and I don't think cancer patients um, are any, I mean, certainly there are additional stressors, Mm -hmm. um, but they're they're being faced with with some of the same um, economic issues that we all are. Um, And a couple comments on that. First of all, I think like everyone else, they're cutting back, Um, but... You know, if you have a diagnosis on top of that, um, and that means you can't work, 
well, then that's kind of even more of a hit. So figuring out and managing around that. Um, although I have to say, I, I think I see people trying to, um, to, to stay working as much as they can. And I think there's more of an attempt to do that now because times are tough. Yeah. Um, so maybe people are just trying a little bit harder um, and probably a little more stressed out during treatment because of it, um, because they don't feel like they can step away from their job um, because times are very uncertain. So um, that's, I, I don't know that that's a good change, but it's, it's one that I think we're seeing. Um, and, and, you know, you have different types of employers. You have some that make it easy and some yeah. that, quite frankly, don't. So that can look very different for people. Some employers are just fantastic and really trying to help people, you know, allowing them to work from home when they can, yeah. just kind of altering what that looks like for them to make it work. And others, you know, it's, it, can, it can be pretty rigid. So, But I would imagine in, in kind of a tenuous economic environment that people might even be fearful to make those kinds of requests Absolutely. for special needs or exceptions. Absolutely. I think they, they try to just... Um, to stay to stay in it, and you know, there's other reasons why people try to, to stay with work. Quite frankly, because you know they don't want to step too far the the norm in terms yeah. of that. They want their lives to not feel completely changed. Yeah. Some people yeah. really enjoy their work, and that's their distraction from cancer. So there's a lots of reasons, but I think um, the economic situation of our country right now kind of adds more to that. Yeah. Um, another reason why they don't feel like they can or they don't want to um, try to step away. Yeah. You know, we're going to go to the break in just a minute, but Connie and Andy, are you hearing any talk in your groups about people's concerns about the uh, economic climate? Is that coming up in any of your discussions? Actually, in group on Monday, uh, we had a lengthy discussion, you know, about the economy as a whole, um, you know, politics, what's going to happen with the change you know, with a new president. So, yes, I think everybody is thinking about it and talking about it. Andy, are you talking about it in group as well? No, I, I haven't heard it come up in a group session yet, but just other other people I know, you know, cancer survivors are, are not, are, are saying they're going to be cutting back on gifts and, and parties and so forth this year and trying to concentrate more on just spending time together. Right, right. Well, and I imagine, you know, with, with uh, what we're seeing with recent job loss, I, I imagine people are concerned about losing their jobs, losing their health care, cutbacks in health care, things along those lines. That's um, right. The additional, the, I mean, we're, we're fortunate that we have some, that we have insurance. It would be a, a terrible time to be, you know, also without insurance you know, in, in this economy and then also, you know, having the ongoing medical expenses right. and cancer treatment at the same time. Yeah, it would be pretty tough. Well, we're going to go uh, to break right now here on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about cancer during the holidays, and we will be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or 
more at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. On today's show, we've been talking about coping with cancer around the holidays. As we all know, holiday meals are a wonderful way to celebrate with friends and family. Uh, however, it's important to note that when a cancer patient goes through treatment, a couple of the most noted side effects are changing tastes for food and also some dietary restrictions. Uh, it's certainly possible that a favorite dish you've loved your whole life may taste terrible to you the day after, let's say, a radiation treatment. Um, but what can you do when food plays such a central role in getting together with loved ones? Uh, Connie, I'm going to start with you. How have you dealt with this? Have you, uh, you know, has your treatment impacted how you think about food or how food tastes to you? And do you do anything kind of special around the holidays or any special dishes that you like to think about around the holidays? Well, actually, um, my taste buds have been tremendously affected for the last six months, and this is something new to me. This is something that I haven't gone through before, uh, even with radiation. Um, radiation does oftentimes cause a real metallic taste, uh, you know, in your mouth, and you get a lot of hints about using plasticware and not drinking out of cans. Yeah. And I've never experienced this before, but I am experiencing it now. Hmm. And I have treatment every other week, and it seems to be getting a little bit worse um, with with each treatment, and this is one of the things that I talked about when I was in group, and someone said, what does your doctor say about that? Well, I hadn't asked my doctor about it. I knew this was a possibility, and in my mind, it was just, this is one of the things I've got to put up with. Um, But since getting that suggestion at group, I did speak to my infusion nurse uh, about it, and she gave me some, some really great uh, suggestions, it's mostly your hot taste buds that are affected more than your cold. Um, and she suggested um, with cold drinks, use a lot of ice, put a little lemon in your water. Um, if you have cocoa or tea, make it stronger than usual so maybe that you are getting the flavor of it, hmm. you know, a little bit better. I'm finding that cold, cold foods tastes better to me than hot food, so I've just adjusted to that. Um, I really crave sweets, and I come from a family of bakers, and (laughs) so uh, fortunately I've still been able to eat my sweets. Last year at Thanksgiving we had 22 guests, and I think we had 16 pies. (laughs) We just all have our our specialty pies that we make. Honey, you're making me hungry. Uh, we love desserts, and we're just great bakers, and, you know, it's just been passed down. My grandmother was a great baker, and, 
um, she made this great pie called a sugar pie, and it's basically sugar flour and cream, no calories. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but for some reason, you know, my mom and my sister never were able to to be able to pick that up and and put that combination together to make a great sugar pie. <laughs> I could. I've passed it down to my daughter-in-law. So nice. we have lots of great family traditions like that. My mom makes wonderful specialty salads, and she makes homemade dumplings. And, um, you know, I just don't make a big showcase out of it. If there are things there that I can't eat, I just don't eat them. Yeah. You know, especially after chemo. I mean, I'm eating fruit and yogurt for about a week. Yeah. So, I, you know, I just try to find things that taste really good to me that I enjoy. Nice. Wonderful. Andy, you talked about, and then we're coming up on Thanksgiving, you talked about how you guys have sort of modified your plans a little bit. A lot of family coming and bringing side dishes, and you've ordered a turkey um, that's going to be delivered, which is great. Now, Andy, I know you've also got two boys in the house. Um, yes. So how has, since your wife's diagnosis, how has it been kind of keeping up with, uh, with food and, and, and family, and uh, how do you sort of plan for all of that? Well, we've been, we've been fortunate that the chemo didn't really affect Julie's uh, taste buds. She, mm-hmm. hasn't, she hasn't done radiation yet, so we could potentially still have that in store for us. But the, the much bigger problem has just been, you know, how do you continue to get healthy food on the table mm-hmm. you know, when one of the partners is tired, you know, most of the time and just, just really, you know, can't participate. Right. Before we had kind of shared food preparation and uh, to some extent with our with our children too so uh, we've we've ordered uh, some food by from a company called dinners by design that mm-hmm. it's uh, it's kind of pre pre-assembled food so the the preparation time is a lot less so when yeah. I get home from work I can make that you know a little bit easier and uh, and that's that's helped some and then uh, we go out sometimes on the on the weekends for for meals, and we try to try to keep it up. But that has been, you know, I think one of the one of the sources of, of stress for us has been been dinner time and trying to have something on the table that was reasonably healthy and at a, at a reasonable time that that we could eat dinner as, as a family with the kids. It can be it can be pretty overwhelming. Yeah, I can imagine. So yeah. Well, we're we're moving towards the uh, towards the end of our show, um, and uh, I would like to hear from each of you. Again, we've got folks listening from across the country who are maybe dealing with the cancer for the first time, or you know, coming up upon this uh, the holiday experience. And I'd like to ask each of you to share with us any advice you have for our audience on what they can do uh, to help a loved one with cancer around this time of year. We just, I'd really love to hear from each of you on that as we move towards the end of the show. Connie, let me start with you. Well, I love Christmas shopping, and invariably over the years, I always end up with a Christmas gift for myself. (laughs) But the last few years, the Christmas gift that I give myself is hiring a cleaning lady to come in right before the holidays. Mm -hmm. And I think the main thing, and we've we've touched on it um, with Andy, with asking, you know, members of his family to each bring a side dish, you know, with Laura, uh, talking about letting other people know what that you need. So many of the times our friends and our family don't know what we need unless we ask, and it is one of the most difficult things to do is ask 
you know, I've always been a giver, always very involved in community affairs, and it just makes me feel so good to be able to give and to help. And one of the things I learned in group is we need to allow others to enjoy that feeling, the goodness and the giving that, you know, they can enjoy the same feelings you've always enjoyed so you know what they're going to feel. Yeah. And, you know, I think anybody will do almost anything for you. Yeah. But most of the time they just don't know what to do, what they need, need some, some guidance. You know, or how to help. Yeah. Um, it's just the learning experience that I've had. I mean, over the years, how many times have I said to someone that's going through chemo, Oh, I hope it doesn't make you too sick. You yeah. know, because you don't know what to say and you usually end up saying something inappropriate. Yeah. So I have just learned the simple act of asking, you know your friends and your family well, you know, you know what one person might be able to help you with the most, whereas another person there might be something else that's kind of their specialty yeah. that they will be happy to help you with. Wonderful. Wonderful. Andy, how about you? Again, we're kind of moving towards the end of the show here, but uh, quick quick tips, advice for folks who are listening today? Uh, for uh, trying, trying to help if, if a loved one has cancer, I think the, the best thing that you can do is, is to be flexible. I think we've really appreciated that in our extended family, you know, where, uh, you know, it's like Thanksgiving is kind of always done a certain way, and it's very important to everybody in, in our families. And, you know, they were willing to change their plans and do things a different way to accommodate us this year. And we were just so thankful and appreciative of that. So I, I think flexibility is one of, the, one of the best things that you can do for your loved one that has cancer. Great, great. That's a great, great tip, great piece of advice. Laura, quickly, some advice for our listeners? Um, you know, just, again, kind of embracing the new normal um, yeah. and how that looks for for your loved one, decreasing, you know, your expectations to fit what they're able to um, to provide, and reframing your idea of what happy holidays means. I mean, it, it's going to look different, but sometimes that's not a bad thing. We hear people talk about the benefits of cancer, and while that sounds strange to people, what it means is it's the change of perspective. It's understanding that, you know, um, a good Christmas doesn't mean a bunch of nice gifts. It just means being able to spend it with people you love, yeah. and sometimes it takes a really difficult situation to help us refocus on what's important. Um, yeah. Finally, you know, what, one more one more point too is that, you know, when you find, and 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 I think that Connie and Andy um, might agree with me on this, when you find something that you can do for someone, and you're asking what you can do, and the person has the courage um, to tell you, because like Connie said, that's hard. Just make sure you follow through. You know, yeah. it's easy to ask, but it's hard to follow through. And right. I would offer that if. You know, if you're, if you're really not invested in doing it, um, don't offer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause, cause no, I think it's great, Laura. Harder. 
So, listen, I want to thank everybody for being on the show today, Connie, Andy, Laura. Great tips, great advice, and we just thank you for sharing your your stories with us um, here on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I think our listeners learned a great deal. We want to wish everybody a wonderful Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you holiday you and your family uh, celebrate. We want to dedicate the show to all the families and friends who are supporting a loved one with cancer through the holiday season. And until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org.